0: Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another collaboration of the 104.6 and 1 podcast and the Home Field Podcast. I'm your host for the 104.6 and 1, Kevin Valentin. I'm the host of the Home Field Podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabra. All right, big dog. We got uh, We got a little bit on the agenda today. Today, guys, we are going to discuss... Uh, kind of our, our, our shockers and our disappointments in the NBA thus far this season in both conferences of the East and the West. We have another what-if segment scheduled for you guys to talk about Super Bowl 43 between the Cardinals and the Steelers. And uh we're kind of just going to give our, our, our feedback on, on what we think would have happened and, you know, if the outcome was just a little different or even if the Cardinals would have won that Super Bowl, what could have transpired and what the narrative could have ended up being. So, Kyle, uh if you could start it off for us in the Eastern Conference who is your biggest disappointment thus far?
1: Yeah, my biggest disappointment so far is Toronto. Toronto right now. So as it stands, their record is 8-12. and Now, with them, it's a little bit different this year because they're the only team that has truly been displaced by COVID-19 this year. So they are not playing in Toronto this year because the Canadian government did not grant them permission to travel in and out of the country between Canada and the United States. So they're actually playing in Tampa. So they played down over at Amalie Arena. And I remember, um, I believe they were actually staying at one of the hotels um, right next to the arena for a couple of weeks while they were trying to get some living arrangements set up um, during the transition coming down to Tampa. With that said, though, they just haven't performed well. Um, I guess one of the biggest things that I've seen from them where they've really struggled is they're just giving up a lot of points and they're just, they're just not playing good defensive basketball. So just to kind of give you an example, like they played against the Kings the other day. Now the Kings are actually not that bad this year because the Fox has been going off this year, but they're giving up over 110 plus a game in most of these losses, just to kind of pull up some of these losses that they've had like in the last month or so. So they played the King, like I said, they played against the Kings they gave up 126 in on a loss. They played the Bucks before then. They gave up 115. They played the Pacers before then. They almost gave up 130 to the Pacers, and they gave up 100 over 110 points to the Heat. And just about, I want to say, maybe a week and a half ago to the Heat. And the thing is, like, you got to expect more from um, not only them on the defensive side of the ball, but you got to expect more from Fred Van Vliet. He got that huge contract extension just about a year ago. He hasn't been living up to that contract. Pascal Siakam has really been struggling this year. Um, Kyle Lowry still is you know, a, a mid-level to an average-level point guard. Um, you, just, you just need a little bit more effort from these guys, and they're just not getting it done. I, I originally had the Raptors as like a top-five, top-six seed in the Eastern Conference going into this year. And they have just under, they really underwhelmed me so far this year. Um, now, granted, we're only about a quarter of the way through the season. So they can def- they definitely have more than enough time to turn things around. And trust me, I, I do believe in Nick Nurse. I do believe that he is a really competent coach. He's gotten this team to a finals championship before. And to a certain extent, I do believe that this team has overachieved ever since Kawhi has left. I think this year they're definitely having some, I wouldn't say growing pains, for example, but I would just say that they're, they're struggling. They just haven't found really any sort of consistent rhythm as far as getting W's or just wins in in the win column. But like I said, they still got a lot of time to figure this out. Um, They still have about, I believe 45 to 50 games left this season. So I'll say this. If they don't start turning it around within the next month or so, then, then I would really be concerned for them long-term. That's just kind of how I see it. Uh,
0: I mean, you kind of took all the words right out of my mouth. But the only counterpoint I will say, uh, if you guys haven't figured it out, I was kind of leading towards the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors were just dominating basketball ever since they're to the team. I mean, obviously, we all know they were a perennial all-star team, uh, even in the DeMar DeRozan days. But it really took that Kawhi Leonard acquisition to go and put them over the top And, you know, lead them to the promised land, so to speak, with their victory over the Warriors. And, you know, like Kyle said, once Kawhi left, I mean, everybody kind of thought that the Raptors would be written off. They didn't think that they would be back or they would be anywhere near what they were when they were a finals or should I say an NBA championship team. And they went out and they, you know, they took the Celtics last year all the way to what, seven games? And they went all the way to the semifinals in the bubble. So mm-hmm. I mean, the Raptors found ways to stay relevant. They kept winning basketball games. You know, they kept dominating teams that they needed to. But this year, the big difference to me is, like you said, their defensive, uh, their defensive liabilities. But to me, I look at that as, look, Marcus All and Serge Ibaka, their their main rim protectors are gone. Yeah, they signed Alex Lynn. They cut him. They waived him, or whatever that was. I believe like what last week or two weeks ago. So I mean, yeah. they haven't found a solid replacement big this season. And I, I feel like that is a, a huge contributor to the fact that they are just allowing an absolute astronomical amount of points. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're not, you know, giving up Brooklyn numbers, but they are they are flirting with that line, but they just don't have the offensive firepower to go about competing like a Brooklyn Nets team. If they were to give up that many points, they could put up that many, if not more themselves. And as Kyle stated, the offensive struggles of Van Fleet and Siakam and and the rest of the supporting cast behind them just they aren't really doing much to give, uh, you know, Nick Nurse uh, an easy way out, or should I say, not an easy way out, but, you know, an, an easier job. So the team as a whole is struggling on both ends of the floor, and I think it starts on the defensive end, and they are for sure the biggest disappointment for the both of us in the Eastern Conference.
1: I mean, just to kind of give you an example, I'll pull up the, uh, the Bucks game that they had uh, just a few days ago. Just to kind of give you an idea of how bad some of the – how bad the defensive liabilities with the Raptors are. So just to kind of show you this, they got 46 rebounds as a team with the Raptors. When they were playing the Bucs, they gave they the Bucs had 60 rebounds. I mean, you're talking about a 13 rebound difference. And you can even look at the box score here. Like, Milwaukee did not necessarily shoot well that game. They only shot 43% from the field. Toronto shot about 40%. But they're getting out-rebounded in a in, in double digits almost. And look, and not only that, you know, they're giving up offensive rebounds. They gave up 14 offensive rebounds to the Bucks a few days ago. And that give that leads to second chance points for the other team. If you're not able to at least shoot at least 45% from the field, and you're getting out-rebounded 10 to plus 10 to 15 plus rebounds a game, that's just a recipe for just Inconsistency and just that's kind of just how I see it. And I've looked at some of the other games that they played in. Same situation when they played against the Pacers. Similar situation. They're getting out rebounded, and they're not necessarily shooting well from the field. So I mean, you, I mean, you got guys like Pascal Siakam playing 35 minutes, and he's only scoring in, in some of these bad performances that he's having, only scoring 10 to 15 points. So then they have to look to sort. They have to look towards guys like Norman Powell or Aaron Baines or. Terrence John, uh, Terrence Davis. Like these guys are not reliable scoring options. You need your, you need your superstars that are getting paid. And it's in a, in a in, well, I was going to say absorbent, but let's just say a significant amount of money with these contracts that they have. And they're not performing well. So even Kyle Lowry, I mean, I got to expect a little bit more from Kyle Lowry. He's the captain of the team. He's the one that has to steer this ship. And, and right now through the first quarter of the season, I just haven't seen it from them. and, They gotta just get to. They gotta pull some wins together. But I'll tell you what, these next couple games that they have, just kind of looking at the next five games that they have, it's gonna be a tough road for them. So I mean, they're they're beating the Magic tonight, which is a good win. Which is just a good win to get. It's you're playing against the Magic. They're the Magic are really no threat in the Eastern Conference right now. But after that, they got a tough road. They gotta play the Nets. They gotta play the Hawks. They gotta play the Grizzlies. I mean, they got to play the Wizards, and the Wizards just beat the Nets a couple days ago, and then they play Boston after that. So they got four, f- four to five tough games.
0: It's, a, it's it, a tough gauntlet coming up for sure. Yeah, and then then they got to play the Bucks again in the middle
1: of February. They got to play them twice. So, uh, listen, th- this next two to three week stretch for Toronto, I think, is crucial. If I don't see anything from them in that two to three week stretch where it leads me to believe that this team can turn it around it could be a season that where they're not even going to make the playoffs. So they, they really got to figure some things out in these next couple of weeks. And these games really within the next week or so
0: are really indicative of that. Absolutely. Now flipping it to the positive, mm-hmm. who is your biggest surprise and on the good spectrum of the Eastern conference, who has really surprised you in a good way? It's the 76ers
1: it, by far. The 76ers have absolutely played outstanding basketball this year. And You can make a legitimate argument that Joel Embiid is an MVP caliber player right now. He's playing at an MVP level right now. And really, I think the addition of Doc Rivers this offseason has paid huge dividends for this team because going into this season and even looking kind of like where they were last season, it seemed like this team had a decent amount of firepower with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris. However, it just seemed to me, and it seemed like everybody else that was watching them, they were under, underperforming. All we, you could look towards Ben shootings, uh, Ben Simmons shooting issues, his the fact that he can't shoot a perimeter shot to save his life, Joel Embiid being out, being out of shape, and just the inconsistencies there with it, uh, the conditioning. And then Tobias Harris, he had his struggles last year, but the addition of Doc Rivers has been, huge because Tobias harris is playing like he was when he was playing with the clippers a few years back when doc rivers was leading the team like i said joel Embiid is playing at an mvp level right now and ben simmons is being a great facilitator for the team and getting some easy buckets so this team is right now at 15 and 6 they had a big win against the the lakers a few days ago honestly they were kind of lucky to win that game because they gave up a 10 to 15 point lead with only about three to four minutes left in the game even so they were still able to get the win and right now they do look like the cream of the crop in, in the eastern conference right now and just kind of looking at their schedule right now i mean they play the hornets next they got the blazers the nets and the kings and then the blazers again so really outside of maybe the nets game they've got some really winnable games here and they could really extend their lead in the eastern conference if they played their cards right and just play good complimentary basketball
0: yeah No, I I mean, I agree. Philly's a big surprise. I mean, we did kind of shit on them at the beginning of the year, you know, for the preseason, saying that they were going to be a a big letdown. They didn't really make a lot of moves this offseason, other than letting Josh Richardson go, coming to Dallas, but them getting Seth Curry. We didn't really expect much from them, honestly. I I, know I didn't, Um, and they've been a big surprise. But I'm going to kind of turn the tables and go to a different team. Kyle, can you give me the record of the Cleveland Cavaliers, please?
1: Yes, I can. They're currently – 10 and 11, and they're sitting at the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference right now.
0: Now, I know the record doesn't reflect it. However, the fact that the Cleveland Cavaliers are trending in the right direction is a surprise, I think, that a lot of people are seeing. The, the play of Colin Sexton has been stellar. There isn't really much of another word for it because Colin Sexton has been hooping, for lack of a better words man dropped 43 on the nets, single-handedly scored 20 straight points in the fourth quarter in overtime to carry them to a win. The acquisition of multiple bigs and them playing up to par, you know, like the, I always thought that Cleveland recently has been the house of just running a, a, full, a full forward and center squad because they just have that many on their team. Speaking of which, Andre Drummond reportedly as of today is not expected to be on the team longer or past the trade deadline this year so I wouldn't be surprised he gets moved, which is the name we both said would not move. Um, JaVale McGee is also in some rumors as well, him looking to be traded over to Brooklyn to give them some depth. But nevertheless, they're making it work with not a lot of talent. And no disrespect to anybody on that team, but, I mean, when you think of the Cleveland Cavaliers, the first thing that comes to your mind is LeBron James coming and going, and then coming back. You know what I mean? Like, it's just – you don't expect much from it because typically teams – dissipate when LeBron leaves just because of the amount that he brings with him and then he takes also away. So the fact that Cleveland is even in the top eight seeds, again, I know that the record doesn't really mean much. And I know that it is the beginning quarter of the season, but to see them trending in this form of a direction is just absolutely impressive. And I mean like I don't even know who their head coach is to be honest with you. And I I, I couldn't tell you anybody outside of the players that I just named that is consistently in a rotation other than Kevin Love on this team and Larry Nance Jr. But I, they even just cut this kid, Kevin Porter Jr., for getting into a, a skirmish in the locker room because someone threw food at some, some petty, childish crap, right? And he signed with Houston. Yeah, I mean, this is like elementary
1: school-type pettiness here.
0: I mean, they're, they're, they're overcoming the odds. They're playing great basketball. They're, they're Their number one choice or their first-round draft choice a few years ago to try to you know incentivize LeBron James to stay in Collin Sexton – who has played average basketball as of up to now. And this season, I mean, I don't know what it is. Colin Sexton is absolutely balling out. I know I sent you something on Twitter. His last eight games, he's averaging like, I don't know, 26 or 27 points per game in this last couple of weeks. So, I mean, like, it is absolutely insane. And it's good to see, you know, the Eastern Conference is changing it up. And it's nice to see another team kind of come out of the woodworks and show like, hey, we're still relevant. So, I would say my biggest surprise is for sure the Cavs.
1: And, and I totally understand where you're coming from. Just kind of to reiterate the point of the, the name that's synonymous with the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's obviously LeBron James. And when he left for LA a few years ago, it leaves a massive void. And you can definitely tell that Cleveland was struggling with, with the loss of LeBron James. Obviously LeBron got them four straight finals appearances they were able to cash in on that one final series where they were able to come back from three, one down against the Warriors. But I'll tell you what, like, like you said, with Colin Sexton, Colin Sexton has really performed well this year and he's been progressively getting better since his rookie year. So his rookie year, he averaged 16 and a half points per game last year. He was averaging just a tick over 20 points a game, almost 21 points a game. And then this year he is just absolutely He's absolutely taking a big leap forward. He's almost averaging 25 points a game, so you're definitely seeing some great progression in Colin Sexton's development as a basketball player. And I can, t- I, and it's pretty safe to say that I, I will expect that to continue as he progresses further into his NBA career. I think just to kind of just hit on one of the points with with Cleveland is that, despite the fact of lebron james leaving a couple years ago the fact that they are somewhat of a relevant team in the eastern conference that's a big step for them like now they can finally say okay we have gotten over the loss of lebron james now we have a core of young guys that we can develop around granted you said they have a bunch of bigs now they have they've got um they got karis levert they got Jaren allen not karis levert he's not he's not on the yet. but they got Jaren allen they've got Andre Drummond. We'll see what happens with him with all these trade rumors. But the one thing that I will say about Cleveland is they got a tough stretch coming up in the next like five or six games. So they play the Clippers tomorrow, so when this episode drops tomorrow, they'll be playing the Clippers then. Then after that they got to play the Bucks twice in a row. They play the Suns after that, they play Denver after that, Portland and then the Clippers and then the Warriors. So they've got a really tough stretch from now until the middle of February. So granted, they're they in the seventh seed right now. They're one game under five hundred, But these next six or seven games are really going to prove whether or not this team is actually somewhat of a legitimate team to make the playoffs this year. I think they definitely have the talent to get to the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to get that far in the playoffs, but this these, these next six or seven games, it's going to be absolutely crucial for them. It's going to be crucial for them to get some wins here against some really high-quality teams.
0: I mean, I don't know why we tend to be on the same wavelength for a lot of these segments. But it's probably why we're making our podcast, you know, officially partnered. So, I mean, it's kind of funny to, you know, have these words coming in my mind. I'm like, wait, Kyle just said that. But, wait, Kyle's kind of saying what I'm thinking. So, it's, it's funny. Anyway, um, to transition into the Western Conference, uh, I'm going to go first and say that my biggest disappointment – right there yeah
1: totally agree it's,
0: totally re- it, it's we talked about it briefly last episode on sunday or you know when the episode posted on monday um it's tough right now like kyle said due to covid we did lose about four or five players to covid and then two or three to injury kind of at the same time so like we had an eight player carousel of injuries and covid restrictions so we did have to call some people up we did have to play some people that haven't really played before we had to play some rookies in some situations and run some lineups that we weren't really comfortable in. Obviously the injured players came back a little bit sooner than the COVID players. And, you know, our rotation finally. this is I think last night was the first game we had our full starting lineup without an injury report to waiver uh, for the first time since the beginning of the year. And, you know, we did lose to the Suns. We lost to the Suns by one point, you know, it, it, it really is what it is. I mean, defensively, we just, once again, we just kind of look like dog shit, um, Chris Paul had his way with us. He had about 35 points. Devin Booker scored the last 15 points in the fourth, or should I say he scored 15 in the fourth, including the game winner. They put them up one and Luca just could not, you know, hit the game winner. I I believe it was about a 30 foot, 35 foot shot to, uh, to kind of steal the game 1.5 seconds left on the clock. You don't really expect much. I would say we have the talent. We have the coach. We have the superstar or should I say, you know, one of the best players in the NBA. You know, we do have the supporting cast in, in Christoph Porzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr., who I am consist- consistently not a fan of. But, you know, the games that he does go off, I kind of cheer for him a little bit. But, I mean, as a whole, the Mavs are sitting at the 13th seed in the West. We are just looking like absolute, utter garbage. Um, we are one of the worst teams in the NBA, not only the Western Conference, but the, the league. And it is frustrating to watch. But like Kyle said, it is the first quarter of the season. I believe that we can turn it around. I believe that this organization has the players and the grit to, you know, bite down and kind of push forward. It's a matter of kind of holding together and not giving up. But as I, I know as a unit, we're just, we're, we're not rebounding the basketball well. We're playing terrible defense. Our shot selection is absolutely atrocious. And we're not really getting to the free throw line. And when we are, we're just, we're not hitting those free throws. Trust me, I haven't been able to watch a lot of the games because they're not televised and I don't have league pass. But I see enough, you know, Mavs recaps and I do see L for the box score to know exactly what's going on because I've been a match fan for the majority of my life. So when I see that we shoot 34% from the field and we took about 45 threes, I, it doesn't surprise me. It, it, it doesn't. When I see that we have three, seven footers on our team and we get out rebounded by 16 to 20, it doesn't surprise me because it does we don't we don't encourage boxing out. We don't we kind of play and we watch the ball. And when it bounces into another center's hands, or it's the most embarrassing thing, when it bounces to the top of the key. And one of the guards get it. It's absolutely frustrating. There's no reason that Willie Colley-Stein, Boban Marjanovic, and Kristaps Porzingis aren't averaging upwards of 8 to 12 rebounds a game per, per fucking player. It's annoying. We we traded for Will Colley-Stein because of his defensive presence and his ability to rebound. We traded for Kristaps Porzingis because of his ability to score the basketball, shoot, rebound, and protect the rim. And we went and signed Boban Marjanovic because we needed a, a, a big body and... I don't know, for whatever reason, we're the home of international players. And Boban has actually been probably one of my favorite players to watch as a Mav because it's just so entertaining to watch someone, or should I say some human being that big play a sport that makes the actual instrument, aka the basketball feel this tiny in his hands. But you know, to get back on topic, you know, the Mavs are just not playing up to par. I think we can turn it around. If you could do me the favor and read me our next schedule. I know it's not the most difficult, but... It, we're going to have to, you know, get some good wins and quality wins coming up soon. Well, over the
1: next couple of
0: weeks or so, so they play Atlanta tomorrow.
1: They just came off of a loss to the Lakers. Then after that, you got to play the Warriors twice in a row. After James that, Wiseman's got, out. And then after that, you have a pretty easy matchup against the Timberwolves. That should be a win for you guys. Then you guys play Atlanta again. Then you guys – um you guys have a stretch where you play the Pelicans, the Blazers, the Pistons, and then the Rockets.
0: So, so not the hardest schedule in the world. Like you no. went off a couple of the teams we talked about earlier. We don't have the worst, so we have some quality opportunity to really turn this around, get people's legs back under them, and you know get that team chemistry built back up because we cannot afford to go on another six-game losing streak like we are now, or increase the losing streak that we're already on as we as we speak. So, we got to turn it around. Got to turn the emphasis on immediately to defense and rebounding. The offense will come when people just when shots start to fall. You know, it eventually happens. But if we don't defend the basketball, and if we don't find a way to rebound, we are not going to compete. Not only in the Western Conference, but in this league. So it, it's just frustrating for me as a Maps fan.
1: Yeah, and I, and
0: and I completely agree.
1: And and trust me, like I've looked through all of the Western Conference teams, and. By and large, the only team that really stands out to me that has really been playing subpar basketball this year as far as championship-contending teams coming into this year is Dallas. Dallas should be better than the third-worst seed in the Western Conference right now. I had them as like a top three, top four seed going into the playoffs this year. And to, to your credit, you mentioned the fact that they're just getting out-rebounded. They're getting bodied down low. And they have, the, they have bigs that can go up and get rebounds. It's just that they're they're not getting it done. And, and I'll tell you this. I watched that Suns game last night, or at least when I watched the highlights of it. And the one thing that I noticed about, about Dallas was that they were able to get their free throw last night. They hit 25 free throws last night as a team, and they shot 96% from the field uh, – 96% from the free throw line. It just happened to be that, that one missed free throw actually could have made somewhat of a difference because if Devin Booker – when Devin Booker hits that three – and the mass they did all their free throws. Then it's a tied game instead of being only down one. I know it's one free throw, and there are a bunch of different opportunities to score points in the game, but it's just that if they had actually hit that free throw, it would have made somewhat of a difference. But they've got to get it together, man. They've lost six straight games in a row. Granted, I, I, I'm with you with the whole COVID situation. They have, not had, they have not been able to field a full roster for the majority of the season this year. And they've been playing some really close games. Like the Suns game yesterday and even the, the Suns game from a couple days ago. They only lost to the Suns by six points. But they have got to step up the d- defensive intensity. I, I I saw that game last night where Chris Paul was just getting look after look of just easy shot attempts in, in the mid-range. Absolutely torched him in the mid-range game last night. He dropped 34 points and looked like he looked like Chris Paul when he was 24, 25 year, 25 years old last night, the way that he was just dicing up that. Matt Maverick's uh, defensive scheme. So, I mean, Luca offensively has been playing fine. Chris Hops has been been playing better. Obviously, he had to deal with the whole being out of the lineup with um, the beginning of the season, but he's been playing better. But this really starts with the defense. They've got to play better defensively. I know that they can score, but if they don't play defense to match that, they're not going to go anywhere. But it's Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the NBA. They have they have the talent there on paper to go out and and compete for a title. I really do believe this team could compete for a title. But if they can't play defense, and if these guys can't can't get their effort up in the games that really matter, especially over these next two to three weeks, they could be some trouble here. I, I'm not going to rule out the fact that they may not be able to turn this around if they don't turn this defense, this defensive intensity up.
0: Agreed. So with all that negativity out of the way, mainly from myself, <laughs> who do you have as your biggest surprise on a positive note, like we did on the East? Who's your, who's your positive note uh, on on the, in the West?
1: It's Utah. Utah's the number two seed right now. And, and to me, I, I, I thought that Utah would, I'll give you an example. Utah is a team that seems like just like a middle of the pack team. They have some great players in Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley Jr. But do they? But can those guys make a difference to actually go and compete for a title? And I've been on the mindset that Donovan Mitchell is still coming into his own. He's a, he's a great player, don't get me wrong. But he, to me, there's another step that he, he has to take to become a superstar in this league. I believe that he can make that step, but it's – I just have yet to see it yet. So I I don't necessarily disagree with Shaq's take a couple weeks ago when he got on Donovan Mitchell about not being a guy that he thinks can reach that superstar level. I I believe that he can. It's just, I understand where the criticism comes from in Shaq's case, but the way that they've been playing this year, they've been playing absolutely spectacular basketball start of the season. I mean, they're literally only half game out from the, from the one seed in the West, which the Clippers own right now, but they are just playing solid basketball. Like, they're able to get, th- they're able to get 30, 35 minutes from Rudy Gobert. And, and I know he's not really known for an offensive presence, but he's been able to get some buckets. They've been getting great production from uh, Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell. And then they're getting good production off their bench from Jordan Clarkson and guys like jo- George, Niang. Like these guys can put up points off the bench. And if they're consistent, while doing it, this team can really end up as a top three seed in the Western Conference. Um, I really do think that the addition of Mike Conley Jr. has really paid off dividends because this team defensively is stout. you got Rudy Gobert, who's one of the, always the top two, top three players for Defensive Player of the Year uh, awards. And then Mike Conley Jr. is one of the best defenders at the guard position in the league. And then you pair that with a guy who could score like Donovan Mitchell I mean, this team, if this team plays its cards right moving forward, I really do think that this team could end up as a top three seed in the Western Conference at the end of the year going into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think you told me earlier this week that they were on like a 12 game win streak and I had no idea. I know that I was at Isabel's house. I think it was over the weekend or earlier in the week. And I think the Mavs played Utah and we lost and Jordan Clarkson dropped like 33 on our heads. So it was like holy hell like Utah's out here hooping and once again I agree that Utah is a definite uh, positive no positive surprise but I'm going to go with another team and I'm going to say Memphis at the four seed John Morant is leading these boys into enemy territory and they are just absolutely playing full-on team basketball mind you John Morant was out for about a week a week and change with a bad ankle sprain but he's come back with a vengeance and Memphis is on an absolute tear and it isn't necessarily the the play of one person as I'd say that the team as a whole is playing very well I mean you have Valanchunas on that team you have Dylan Brooks you have Grayson Allen you have John Morant you have who am I missing right now I know I'm going to be upset if Kyle Anderson you yeah. have uh... Yeah, Ty I Jones. know Ty yeah, Ty Jones. Jones. I, uh, he he uh, he went to Duke too. I don't, but so did Grayson Allen. But yeah. that gets me nauseous. Uh, when does Jared? When does Jared Jackson Jr. or Jalen Jackson Jr. come back? Is it? It's JJJ, right? Jared Jackson Jr. Jared Jackson Jr. I can look it up real quick. I know yeah, he tore his meniscus in the bubble, and I know that they said that he wasn't coming back for some time. I
1: can look it up real quick. Let's see. He is um, – the only article that I see is that he won't be ready for the start of the NBA season. This was from uh, one of the local papers for the Grizzlies. So um,
0: so he'll probably won't come back for a couple more weeks, if not a month or so. I would probably predict him to come back, predict him to come back after the All-Star break. And when he comes back, that adds a whole other dimension to that offense, and I know that him – and John Moran have a great chemistry I mean just watching them play prior to the bubble and somewhat into the bubble was very fun to watch just two young stars two young rookies really playing um, very well together and I mean like I said Memphis is just playing very good quality basketball as a whole and to have them at the top four seed West uh, top four seed in the West for whatever reason grammar is not working with me tonight but that says a lot kind of like Cleveland I mean Memphis played themselves out of the bubble like they had the eighth seed and they almost lost every single game in the bubble to to knock them out and Portland had to beat them one-on-one at the end to get the eighth seed so I mean if you really think about it a team that was coming off of a terrible end to a season is started off relatively hot and I think that uh, if this is uh, an example of what's to come I can't wait to watch Memphis continue to dominate and play this well in the West well, I mean, right now, they're one of
1: the hottest teams in the Western Conference right now. They've won seven straight games. That's a game better than the, the six-game winning streak that the Houston Rockets have currently. So, and mind you, they've only played 15 games just because COVID has been a major issue with them this year. And despite that, they're overcoming all the obstacles that COVID has thrown their way. And they have a, they have a over 500 record. They're the top, they're the top they're the top four seeds in the Western Conference. And then I mean look at look at the impact that COVID has had on Dallas Mavericks where it has just completely thrown off the, the rhythm and really the chemistry of the team to the point where they may not even make the playoffs if they're not careful. But you look at what Memphis has had they have a great they have a great cast of young players that trust each other and they've been playing really well and that's despite the fact that John Morant has been Hurt, I believe, didn't he uh, turn his ankle the other day? So
0: About oh, about a week ago, he had a pretty bad ankle sprain, yeah. Yeah, so,
1: so he's not a, at 100%. But they've got some quality wins here. They they beat the Spurs two times in a row before the, uh, they played the Pacers tonight. They beat the Suns. They beat the 76ers. And then they were able to beat some teams like the Nets and the Cavaliers. So they've got some quality wins here on this winning streak. Can it continue? I'm of the mindset that it can't. They've got, a, they've got a little bit of a touch, tough stretch. They're, they're getting absolutely smoked by the Pacers tonight, so they're probably going to lose this one. Then they got to play Houston, who is one of the hottest teams in the Western Conference right now. They got to play the Pelicans. The Pelicans are going to play them tough, so that might be a tough one. And then after that, they, they've got some easy games, and then they play the Lakers. So I think this team can hold their own for now. I think they may drop to like the, the five or six seed probably over these next two or three weeks, but. If they keep overperforming and overachieving, this team, this team has a real good shot to be, I won't say a contending team in the Western Conference, but they have the ability to knock somebody off in the playoffs, that's for sure.
0: I would not be surprised whatsoever. And the best part about it is they're a young team. Valentunis is probably the oldest player on that team. And mm-hmm. it is absolutely incredible when you see a young team in the NBA get on a streak like this and kind of ride it throughout the season. And I mean, obviously they're not gonna go on some Miami Heat 20 something game win streak. But I mean if they can grab some five game win streaks here and again, you know, like lose maybe like two or three in between that but continue to ride that positivity and show like hey, just because we're young and inexperienced doesn't mean we don't belong here and they have the motivation from last year to say, yo, we went into that bubble, and we absolutely shit the bed. We're not going to do it again. So, I like I said, I think a young team like that really can go and shock like you said to a certain extent, shock the world and kind of like, you know, knock somebody off or or send somebody to seven games and take them to a long stretch of like, wow, I really thought we could have beat them. Like mm-hmm. I, I just I just you don't you definitely can't sleep on Memphis. But transitioning into our next topic, just because I do know that we are strained for time, uh, we are gonna get into our what if segment of the evening. Kyle, what do you got for us, man?
1: Yeah, so the what if segment that we have for today is we are going to recap the last Super Bowl that took place in Tampa. I believe it took place in 2009. It was a matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Arizona Cardinals. It was coming off the heels of one of the biggest Super Bowls of all time with the New England Patriots and the New York Giants the year before. And I'll tell you what, this Super Bowl definitely lived up to expectations. And then some it was an absolutely fantastic game, came right down to the end and... The Steelers ended up winning the Super Bowl by the score of twenty three uh, to twenty seven to twenty three over the Arizona Cardinals. But the what if question is: What if the Arizona Cardinals were able to pull off this win against the Pittsburgh Steelers? What would have the what would the impact have been had Kurt Warner won his second Super Bowl title instead of Big Ben winning his second title as uh, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I'll, I'll ask that question to you.
0: What what was the overall impact of this game to you? So I think it changes the narrative and it changes the dynamic of that year and that off season. I mean, Ben it would Ben came off of getting drafted in two thousand and four, winning a Super Bowl in two thousand and five, and then going right back to the Super Bowl four years later. So I mean, he won pretty much two Super Bowls in the first five years of his career, and I mean that that was pretty much by and large to the dominance of the Pittsburgh defense in the early 2000s. I mean, Ben kind of came into a perfect situation where that defense was absolutely insane. I mean, you go down the list of superstars. I mean, it, it's pretty endless. I mean, you have Troy Polamalu, Ike Taylor, Ryan Clark, and just, and just absent what, what Lawrence Timmons. Uh, God, just thinking of the pro bowlers that were just on this team. It's incredible. But mm-hmm. the, the offense of this team was just so prolific they had willie parker heinz Ward, antonio holmes heath miller a young and mobile ben roethlisberger a healthy ben roethlisberger because we all know the injuries he's accumulated throughout the integrity of his career but to switch the narrative and for the arizona carnos to go and upset the the veteran pittsburgh steelers would have been incredible larry fitzgerald would have got a ring to add to his illustrious hall of fame career Anquan Bolden would have had two rings because he got one with Baltimore, I believe a few years later. And Kurt Warner would have won two Super Bowls with two different franchises. And that would have been the St. Louis Rams in 2000 or 2001. I believe it was 2000, the greatest show on turf. And he would have won it with the Arizona Cardinals with the firepower that they had. I mean, Ken Wisenhunt had a great team, a great organization. Uh, You know, looking at the, 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 the highlights of the game and remembering some of the game, there were some questionable calls throughout the whole thing. And uh, I I really do think that Arizona kind of shot themselves in the foot, not being able to convert on third down and, and not being able to overcome the dominance of the Pittsburgh defense early, but with them having that resurgence in the fourth and kind of showing that they had the, the willpower and, you know, the, the, the willingness. Well, willpower and willingness, same word, but you know, the, the awareness to say, yo, this is it. We got 11 and 12 minutes left. This is what we need to do. And none other than Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner leading them down and scoring. And then, you know, Arizona's defense having to step up in the fourth, creating a stop, creating a safety. Larry Fitzgerald, I believe, scores on a on a, on a slant route late in the fourth with about two or three minutes left. And yep. he runs in between two safeties and beats uh, cover two zone. And then Pittsburgh has that historic drive with Heinz Ward, or excuse me, Antonio Holmes getting four catches on the entire drive for 74 yards in a game-winning touchdown. To this day, that is one of the greatest catches I've ever seen in my life and one of the best balls I've ever seen thrown in history. So to say that Kurt Warner would have been able to do that on his end or Kurt Warner would have been able to overcome this team would have been detrimental to his career. And I think that the game-changer for that game, like we discussed prior to the to the episode, was that James Harrison picked six before the half. I think that that absolutely changed the chemistry, or should I say the dynamic of the game? I think that that changed the momentum, and I think that that gave Pittsburgh full-blown, this is what we can do, and this is how we're going to run the rest of this game. So there were a lot of intriguing moments. I think that that was an amazing Super Bowl. I was cheering for Arizona, sadly, but to, to say that Kurt Warner would have had two rings instead of Ben, I think that would have been incredible.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think kind of the road that Arizona got to the Super Bowl, I think people forget about the circumstances that led to them actually getting to the Super Bowl in the first place. So they ended up winning the NFC West at a 9-7 and record. So they weren't necessarily the most impressive team going into the playoffs. Yes, they won their division in the NFC West. But when you look at the NFC that year, the Giants were the number one seed, and the Giants ended up actually getting upset by Philly in the divisional round, and Philly was the sixth seed at the time. So Arizona was able to get to the NFC Championship after beating Carolina. Carolina was a two seed at the time, and Arizona absolutely beat the brakes off of Carolina, winning by 33-13. to And then they got a favorable matchup at home in the NFC Championship game against Philly, who was the sixth seed. And ended up beating them to go to the Super Bowl. So, and even despite that, going up against Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh was the two seed coming into the Super Bowl that, that year. And they finished the year at 12-4. and four. So, going into this game, I think by and large, Pittsburgh was the favorite to win this game. Now, they ended up winning this game, but it was a lot more competitive than I thought it would be. Now, I was a little bit different than you because I was actually rooting for the Steelers. My mom, she... Was born and she was raised in Pittsburgh. She was she had somewhat of an emotional, somewhat of a emotional attachment to Pittsburgh when they got to the Super Bowl that year. So I was definitely rooting for the Steelers, even though that was a Patriot fan at, at the time. And to me, this game really turned on its head when James Harrison got that pick six. I really think that this game could have gone completely differently had James Harrison not got that pick six at the end of the first half because. If you actually watch that play, as James Harrison's running down the sideline trying to score, you got Larry Fitzgerald who was trailing him the entire time, but he's catching up to him. However, as he's getting close to him within about probably about four to five yards of James Harrison, he actually runs into one of his own teammates on the sideline because one of his teammates was actually on the sideline but standing a little bit too far out and actually impeded Larry Fitzgerald. Pro- uh, pro- Larry Fitzgerald's progress to go get James Harrison and I really think back to if that if his teammate did not get in Larry's way there's a very good chance that Larry Fitzgerald ends up tagging him tagging him within the five yard line or so I don't think that James Harrison actually gets that touchdown there if Larry's uh, progress is not impeded now with that said it didn't happen because James Harrison gets a touchdown it puts them up, I believe, two possessions going up in the half And despite that, Arizona was able to come back, and they were able to have a dominant fourth quarter, putting up two touchdowns, and they were also able to get a safety before they ended up getting a go-ahead touchdown by Larry Fitzgerald with about two, three minutes left in the game. But like you said, Arizona had a very good chance of stopping Pittsburgh and getting a Super Bowl championship. However, they couldn't stop San Antonio Holmes, and he was a difference maker. I mean, just looking at the stat line that San Antonio Holmes had in that game, he had nine catches for a buck 31 and a touchdown. The touchdown ended up being the game winning touchdown. Just an absolutely sensational performance from, from him. And as far as the impact of the game goes, it, it gave Big Ben a, a huge boost in his career. I mean, at that point, he had won two Super Bowl championships within the first five to six years of his career. And mind you, he was still going up against competent quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. I believe Manning only had one Super Bowl title at the time and Tom Brady had three. So big Ben was, was in the middle of the pack and actually probably the number two guy at the time, even though that I thought Peyton was a better quarterback, but as far as championship goes, that Super Bowl win propelled him in front of Peyton, as far as his career achievements goes. Now, since then, he was he got to one Super Bowl, and that's really all that they, they've gotten from Big Ben since. But, yeah, th- this, this game could have had a completely different completely different historical impact had the Cardinals been able to win this out and be able to stop San Antonio Holmes and the Pittsburgh Steelers on that last-minute drive, the last two-minute drive that they had in the fourth quarter. So, Kurt Warner, he would become another quarterback that won a Super Bowl with two different teams. And it would have been to me, it would have been a nice cap for him to end his career on going out and really bringing a team that wasn't necessarily the odds on favor to get to the Super Bowl and win it that year. But to go out at, at the age that he was, I don't remember the age he was, I believe he was in his late 30s. I don't think he was 40 yet, but that would have been a great way to end his career. Larry Fitzgerald would have been total. His performance would have been totally vindicated. I mean, he had seven catches for 127 yards and two touchdowns. Absolutely outstanding performance. Just it went off or not just because that the Steelers had a great drive at the end of the game. Like you said, Big Ben threw one of the one of the best passes that I ever seen, threw it over three defenders on that touchdown to Santonio San Holmes. Just what a throw by Big Ben. But yeah, it would have it would have changed the course of really the Pittsburgh Steelers um Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl aspirations, I think, just because at that at that point um, they were going up against teams like Patriots, Indianapolis. They always had the contend with Baltimore, so I think there may have been there may have been some some things that may have happened after that Super Bowl that may have not gone in Pittsburgh's favor had they actually lo- had they lost that game, but they ended up winning it and they ended up getting their sixth total. Uh, Super Bowl championship as a team so yeah a lot of what-ifs in in the Super Bowl but that was the last Super Bowl that was hosted in Tampa and now we have the one that's upcoming in just a couple days with um, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
0: So speaking of Super Bowl 55 guys we are going to have our predictions up and ready by Friday morning uh, Kyle and I are just kind of waiting for the injury report to finalize itself. I don't believe the final injury report comes out till when? Friday itself, or is it earlier in the week? It's Friday. It's Friday. So we're, we're going to talk about the game. On, we're going to record Thursday, but we're going to try to keep up with as many injuries as we can in terms of trying to give you guys a, a, the most accurate prediction as humanly possible. Uh, we're going to give you a full breakdown of who we think is going to come out on top, who we believe is going to be the X factor, as well as who we think will win. Um, but if it's anything like the last Super Bowl that was in Tampa, it's going to be incredible. I think this one will probably be better, especially because of the narrative. Similar, actually, to the previous Super Bowl in Tampa, you have an older veteran like Kurt Warner, but instead, Tom Brady being the greatest of all time, and a young quarterback who's up and coming, chasing his second Super Bowl, like Ben Roethlisberger and Pat Mahomes. So, uh, similar storylines, similar teams to a certain extent. Again. Um, the records were different. Arizona was nine and seven, but it could have been a wild card team. Tampa being eleven and five, and then the what? What was Pittsburgh? The number two seed in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Colts lost in the first round that what year. Is, is the, in the 2008,
1: uh, in the, the 2008 playoffs.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we lost to the Chargers or something. T-
1: Tennessee was actually the number one seed that year.
0: Tennessee
1: was that the Vince Young year? Tennessee, yeah. Uh,
0: Indianapolis was the five seed. We're in the wild card, and we were only in the wild card because Tennessee was the okay. okay that in... makes more sense. You guys lost to San Diego. Yeah, I remember that game. Oh god, I can't even talk about that fucking game. Um, but yeah, guys, uh, we have a lot coming for you. Um. We do appreciate you guys coming in and listening. I know Kyle dropped an episode earlier today talking about a full breakdown of the games of the the previous evening. And, you know, we we just are trying to put out quality episodes with the best content that we possibly can, you know, coordinating with both of our schedules. So tune in, follow Kyle's YouTube page, uh, follow my podcast, Anchor, um, Spotify, uh, Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts, as well as Kyle's. And you know we're gonna we're gonna give you guys as much as we can with the uh, with the Super Bowl coming up.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Kevin pretty much hit her on the head there. Um, yeah, I mean, like he said, pretty much we're just gonna go over um, who we think is gonna win the game. Obviously, we'll give our reasons why with our, with our predictions. But I will say this: I'm, I'm not gonna announce it on on this episode. It'll be the the episode that we have later this week. But I do have a special announcement for you guys on the next episode we drop friday so you definitely want to stick around for that because uh it's pretty cool i, th- I think you guys will uh, be definitely surprised by the news that i'll drop
0: i don't even know what it is so i might be surprised after this damn episode <laughs> i know you have to find out on friday or find out on thursday when we record This man gonna make me wait actually we're not their partners man we about to sign off real quick and make me drive to tampa whoop this man ass because i ain't gonna wait that long <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's why you get you, you, you gotta leave you gotta leave with a little bit of something out there, something to keep the suspense up.
0: Well, you already you know the vibes, guys. Like, subscribe, follow all channels, all platforms as much as possible. And uh this is Kev for the 1046 and one signing off.
1: This is Kyle Dabro signing off from the Home Field Podcast. And uh have a good night. You guys take it easy. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show.
0: Egomaniac. It's
1: a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy.
0: Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired.
1: New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform, or listen to it here on Society 13 on ElectroCast.